Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. The energy. Let's start talking about something. Let's. Oh, sorry, I just <laughs> I hit my monitor. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm gonna hunger. Of all the excitement, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Ciao a tutti. You're listening to She Builds podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is places we've called home. That means we are sharing the stories of ladies that are from or lived anywhere that we've lived for any period of time and considered a home. All right. Today, we're going to talk about Maria Bortolotti Casoni, the first woman to become a licensed engineer in Italy. I'm Norgeri Rivas, wishing I was having Bisteca Fiorentina for dinner. In Houston, Texas. Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers, dreaming about gnocchi al tortufo from our favorite taverna in Italy. And I'm based out of Miami, Florida. And I'm Lizzie Rar, drooling about risotto ai cartrofi in San mm. Francisco. And also osobuco. Oh, yeah. Mm. I just had that one pop into my head, too, and I had to mention it. Risotto alla milanese. Oh, yes. All good. Mm. Oh, now I'm hungry. Yeah, I am too. But before we order from places, a quick disclaimer. (laughs) The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are architecture nerds, and we just like to share stories of the information that we find. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us and send us a comment and we will all continue learning. Today, we are traveling to Italy. Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. yay! Maria was a trip to research because ninety nine point nine percent of the source material was in Italian, and oh. I will say that even though I'm on unit twenty four out of fifty one in Italian Duolingo, that does not mean that I am fluent in Italian. So, 
<laughs> Even though I would have loved to be fluent in Italian for this research, that was not the case. So it sounds like you had your work cut out for you <laughs> and you put Google Translate to work. Yes. Yeah. It's sad that once upon a time we could have said that we were fluent. But after 11 years of not living in Italy, we are a little rusty. I don't know if I could have said fluent. Me neither. <laughs> well, I could have said <laughs> conversational. I think. Yeah, conversational. But yeah, that's true. But I, well, I could barely order in Italian. That's all I could do. I could order food in Italian. Important thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that counts as fluency, apparently. Well, now, while I have now. to thank Google Translate for a lot of today's episode, like Lizzie said, I was also appalled by the liberties in translating. It took some time. It would get the gender and the mm. syntax wrong and like totally change the meaning of sentences. And one of the translations just completely erased a paragraph. It was like... I'm a tired of translating. I'm going to go <laughs> skip this bit about her marriage. You don't care, right? Mm-mm. I do care, Google. I do. <laughs> que cavolo fai, Google. Mm. They're really taking liberties here, aren't they? Vero. Uh. English speakers, we do not want the dull story. We created no, reality we TV. All the details. All the details. <laughs> That's right. It does that in Spanish, too, by the way. Yep. Yeah. Because when I double check what I'm like to make sure I'm not missing something, it doesn't do the gender and stuff either. Yeah. Every <sighs> time, every time the gender's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> well, before learning more about Maria, let me talk about why I chose a lady from Italy today. We've mentioned before that Jessica, Lizzie, and I did a semester in Florence. We talked about it a little bit on episode 39, Astrasarina. Yes, I am so glad that we can revisit Italy again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Astra Zarina was the University of Washington School of Architecture professor, and she started their Rome architecture program. So it brought up a lot of memories for us from yeah. when we went to Florence. Mm-hmm. It did, but we didn't dive into it too much. So today I thought we could share a little bit more about our time there. The three of us called Florence home from January 2012 to May 2012. It was, without exaggeration, some of the best months of my life. It Mm. was so exciting for me to be immersed in a new culture, language, surrounding, food. Every Mm. day was an exciting adventure. I feel beyond lucky that I had a chance to live in Florence with y'all. Yes, Yes. I really do. It was a really great experience living in Florence. Mm -hmm. Jessica and I got to live with an Italian host family, too, which was so fun. They taught us to cook and we Mm -hmm. ate dinner with them every night. It was just really nice to feel like we had a little family there. I loved it. Shout out to Giacomo and Olivia. Chi sono mia famiglia italiani? I think that's what Google says. I don't know. But going abroad was definitely my favorite part of college besides meeting you ladies. Sure. I don't quite remember where I lived because I lived in an apartment. I don't remember the address, but for some reason, Via degli Artisti keeps coming up in my head. I think someone lived in that street, possibly me. (laughs) Yes, you did. You lived on that street (laughs) because it was the name. It was the same street as the Taverna and the Taverna was named Taverna dei Artisti. And that's where we went all the time. Oh, Such yes. good food. 
Yes. Oh, Joanne lived there too. Yeah. Jo- uh, she lived on the same street. Um, on the same so, street. Yeah. And a lot of our other friends and listeners to the show did. And also shout out to Tony, the waiter, who also became like our buddy. You know, we went yes. there so much. that Like we went there for dinner, for lunch, aperitivo, aka happy hour. <laughs> if they had a breakfast, we probably would have been there too. Like we knew the owner, yeah. the bartender, our waiter, Tony. And, you know, it was like this... My favorite little like hole in the wall place to go to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember all of that, the food. And I also remember walking absolutely everywhere. We were on our yes. feet for long stretches of time. And I miss that mm. so much. I miss living in a walkable city. Houston's mm. great. Yeah. But I wish I could walk more here. It's mm. definitely not a walkable city. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's becoming a bikeable yeah. city. Oh, okay, that's, nice. that's good. Yeah. yeah. Biking is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Florence was such a great city and we did do so much walking. Mm-hmm. I mean, Europe in general, right, is really good for that. And with our classes, we got to travel all over Italy to different yeah. cities and also to different places in Europe, Spain, Portugal, France, Germany and the Netherlands. I do remember walking everywhere. And Europe was, I think it was probably like where we started our true arc ventures. One hundred percent. Yeah. And but with the gelato, which I believe Mm. every arc venture should accompany gelato. Molto gelato. Yeah. Si, molto gelato. Il pistacchio e cioccolato. Oh, il mio gusto preferito era la nocciola. E fragola, the strawberry. Y'all, we might as well say that this episode is on architecture and food. Because we just keep like name dropping food. Um, anyway, I I was really impressed by how many cities we got to see while we were in Italy, though. And I remember having real yeah. hot chocolate in Siena. OK, you know what? Let's stop. Absolutely. Let's go back to the cities part of everything you said. We yes. explored so many cities. That was one of my favorite things that we got to mm. visit so many different places around the country. And one of my favorite cities was Bologna. Mm. All three of us took a class with Richard Ingersoll, who was this highly regarded professor in academia. But at the time, I had no idea. Like to me, he was just a really smart and funny guy. And his class was <laughs> excellent. Indeed. Ingersoll was hilarious, but also a really, really great history professor. His class was one of my favorites. Yes. Professor Ingersoll took us on a class trip to a few cities and one of them was Bologna. And to me, it was absolutely beautiful. There were all these porticos everywhere, all connected for miles. I loved it. Well, It's the city with the most porticos and it has the world's largest portico. It's also known as a fat city, but that's because it has a lot of rich dishes in their cuisine. Okay, you know, I promise this is the last time I talk about food. No, don't don't censor yourself. Don't make promises you can't keep. That's true. And I'm getting really hungry (laughs) and I want this food. This episode will be done in about 30 minutes and then we'll go eat. Okay, good. (laughs) For Italian. Now that we've painted a picture of Bologna, let's situate ourselves there. Bologna was the birthplace of today's lady, Maria Bortolotti Cassoni. The information out there is consistent about where she was born, but her birthday is an entirely different story. One source said it was 1880 
And get ready, because another one said 1890. So there's a decade range for you. Do with that information what you will. Just, I'd say, pick a decade you like best and roll with it for the rest of the story. Uh, okay. Wow. That is quite a range. I, I'm i going to go with splitting the difference. Mm. You know, 1985. Is that an option? Yep. It's whatever you want. I'm biased towards the 90s. So sure. Okay. I'm, I'm going to pick 1890, but... Throughout the story, I'll keep mentioning both for whichever listeners pick, they can keep the chronology going. Right. I like your uh, I like your 19. I mean, 1890 <laughs> option. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. The time was May 23rd, 1880 or 1890. Or 1895. 1890. Or 1885. <laughs> the place Bologna, Maria Bortolotti was born. She came from a middle-class family. Her dad worked for the railway system and her mother was a homemaker. We've no information about her childhood. Sorry, Jessica. So I'm going to mm. venture to guess that she was hopefully very happy eating delicious food because mm. it's this episode. It's about the food and we're in Italy. I mean, that tracks. Yeah. Pasta, gelato, bolognese, mm. tortellini al brodo, parmigiana, all the things. Literally, she could have just been eating bread and olive oil and she would have been living the good life. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. Let's fast forward to Maria going to college. She got into the Faculty of Sciences of the University of Bologna in 1910. That we know. So she was either 20 or 30. <laughs> Part of me thought, okay, she's probably in college, so maybe... It makes more sense to be right. in her 20s, but maybe not. I mean, since nothing is known about her upbringing, I couldn't quite use that for clues either. I also sure. spent some time looking up how easy or difficult it might have been for women to enter college in Italy to help me pick a time. But I ended up learning about how Mussolini tried very hard to keep women out of schools and jobs. Uh, but that didn't happen for many years after Maria entered college. So that information does nothing for me either. All that to say, I have no information about when, how old she was when she entered college. <laughs> <laughs> what a ride that was, you know? Like... <laughs> facts on facts on nothing. Great. <laughs> facts on nothing. A lot, a lot of information, information to tell us nothing. nothing. <laughs> well, I like let hearing me your you, process, though. Let me, yeah. let me tell you something that I do know. She was majoring in mathematics, but then she decided to also enter the engineering school. So she graduated in 1916 with a degree in mathematics and two years later with a degree in engineering. Wow. Tante aguri. When she graduated from engineering school in 1918, it made her the third woman in the country to be an engineering graduate. The mm. first one was Emma Strada, who graduated from the Polytechnic University of Turin in 1908. And the second was Gaetanina Calvi, who graduated from the Polytechnic University of Milan in 1914. Mm. So it's safe to say that... Maria was the first representing Bologna, but True. also 
future episodes alert Emma Estrada not only was the first civil engineer in Turin she was also the first president of the Italian Association of Women Engineers and Architects and Gaetanina Calvi was a civil engineer and also a professor at the Institute for Blind People in Milan mm. and that's all we'll say for now one day we'll do an episode on these two ladies mm-hmm. thank you for that little teaser info girls Prego. now we have more ladies to add to our list Va bene. Now, at the time, women were allowed to go to college and graduate as engineers, yet they were not allowed to get their license. It wasn't until 1919 that the government passed a law allowing women more rights, which made it possible for women to take the license exam. So even though Maria was the third woman to have a degree in engineering from a school in Italy, on July 18, 1919, she became the first woman to be a licensed engineer. She focused on civil engineering. Brava. But that's interesting. Even though she was the third in the country to get her degree, she would still become the first to get her license. It also makes you wonder, like, what happened to those other two ladies and if they eventually got their license? But maybe I'm just spoiling it for the future episodes. Yeah, but look at the years, right? The law happened only a year after Maria graduates, but... That would have been 11 and five years after the other Mm -hmm. two women graduated. So maybe it was more a matter of like not being in that mindset right after Uh, school. I mean, you know how that goes, right? Like I could Mm -hmm. see if you graduated and then couldn't get licensed for five or 10 years, you might have started doing some other stuff and gone a different way, you know? Eating bread and olive oil. That's right. (laughs) Totally. Immediately, Maria got to work. She kept busy with projects. She was designing and managing several construction sites. She eventually opened up her own construction company and engineering studio with other colleagues, including a lawyer, Manlio Casoni. I thought that was so interesting that she would have an in-house lawyer. I mean, I've worked at a firm that had a legal staff component to it but i guess it's because it was like a firm that dealt with land acquisitions and that required lawyers and i mean i was a part of the architecture side of that but so i did like the land planning and like the building renovations so it's not too far off i think that's so interesting i feel like i could see a contracting firm wanting a lawyer right to make sure Mm -hmm. all the contracts and things with the clients or different projects are good to go and like jessica said land acquisitions or other things like that might need legal uh staff but i suppose depending on what type of projects they worked on you might need a lawyer too i don't know but that also is surprising to me yeah, like I wouldn't have thought of um, that for like an engineering company, but, you know, she also dealt with construction or maybe she just needed a lawyer sure. because it's a business and there are contracts and like all of that blah, yeah. blah, blah stuff. Yeah. Well, if you were paying attention to the beginning of the story, you might recognize Manlio's last name. That's mm. right. The engineer and the lawyer fell in love and they got married in 1924. They eventually had a son together. Oh, que carino. Adorabile. Maybe she needed a lawyer because she wanted to keep him around. Oh, oh hey. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm winking. Work, work. <laughs> <laughs> We're all winking. <laughs> 
<laughs> she networked her way into high society circles and got commissions for various villa projects such as Bruno Biaggi's villa. Let me tell you, Bruno Biaggi was a well-known lawyer and politician of the fascist government. So lots of influence in Bologna at the time. I thought it was curious that a fascist would commission a woman to work on their projects mm. since politically they weren't the most feminist bunch. But who knows? Maybe Bruno mm. believed in professional women. I don't know. Mm. Interesting. I would also mm. think that maybe this Bruno guy was buddy buddies with Manlio. Manlio, the husband. And that's how they were able to get this like client hookup situation. It is weird especially after you found out all that stuff about Mussolini stopping ladies from going to school but mm -hmm. va bene va she bene. got the work yeah yeah I guess that's what matters Italy went through an economic crisis in 1929 aka the Great Depression it's been coming up a lot this season mm. yeah mm -hmm. and that whole situation forced Maria to say ciao ciao arrivederci to Bologna and ciao ciao bienvenuti to Rome She moved her company and family to the capital to find other opportunities, which she did. She was involved in a lot of planning projects. Mm. I'm really glad that she was able to find more work and that it was worth moving there. Yes, going to the big city. She wasn't just thriving as a civil engineer. She was also dabbling in interior and furniture design. Her furniture was manufactured by Dita Liporesi and Sons, a furniture company of Bologna. Una donna di molti talenti. Sì, si. especially considering that she studied engineering. I would expect that from maybe a traditional architect. So that is so cool. Yeah, I like that she had an artistic side as well that she got to use during her career. During this time, there was a National Fascist Association of Professional and Artist Women, which, again, was confusing to me that it would exist because from the very little I know, these people were not out there fighting for women's rights. But who knows? I kept fighting the they're, urge. They're proving us wrong today, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept fighting the urge to read up on this history. So I can't say for sure. I didn't want to go down that waterfall. That's how I would have spent 80 hours on research. Right. <laughs> We understand. But I've digressed yeah. far enough. This association existed and in 1933, they had a conference and Maria spoke about the home and furnishings. When I read the topic of the conference, I was like, oh, okay, okay. These are like the safe subjects for women to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they were just allowed to talk about like home design and such, but like nothing further. <laughs> That's yeah, it. this is interesting. But like you said, maybe they were trying to be like, here's your lane. Stay in it. I mm. don't know. But I mean, either way, I'm glad that there was a group for the women and that Maria got asked to speak at it. Hopefully this was a topic she enjoyed talking to everyone about mm, yeah. and not just her only option. True. Well, newspapers in Rome wrote about Maria's talk and they said, Miss Maria Casoni has, with a sober and elegant style, with a clear word, with feminine elegance, treated the difficult subject by enchaining the attention of the audience. What? 
home and furnishings was difficult. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Also, I'm not sure if Maria at this point was a fascist or not. Or if she was just like, I got to do what I got to do and network with these people because it was probably unsafe otherwise. Mm. Or or who knows? Maybe she was really passionate about home furnishings and would talk about it with anyone that would listen. Like there's a lot of ways this could go. (laughs) (laughs) I do like this option. The last one? Yeah, that she was trying to be safe. Or no, sorry. That she was really passionate about home furnishings. Yes, I will imagine it that way. Yeah. All right. That is how we shall proceed. I have a working theory that we can talk about at the end once I finish her story of of where her leaning was politically. Okay. Vai. Continua. Va bene. In 1935, Maria was in an article of the magazine Almanaco de la Donna Italiana. Almanac of the Italian Woman. The article was dedicated to modern architecture and women architects. Even though Maria was not an architect, she was dabbling in interior and furniture design. So the magazine recognized her efforts and work, and they called her one of the pioneers of the rationalist movement in Italy, that her work intuitively rejected superfluous details, and she approached design with a rationalist mindset. This is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So rationalism in architecture mostly happened in Italy during the 1920s and 30s. It was a very minimalist and austere type of architecture. And we saw a lot of it during fascist Italy. One of the most well-known projects is the Casa del Fascio in Como. Yes, I remember the architect uh, Giuseppe Terrani and Lake Como. Oh, and we also we saw Casa del Fascio and we saw this um, apartment building nearby that was called Casa Giuliana Frigerio. And the style is mm-hmm. basically like modern version of Roman architecture. Okay. Listeners take out all the fluff from Renaissance architecture. And what are you left with? Lines, symmetry, rectangles, and squares. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Casa del Fascio is one of my favorite projects of all time in architecture. Yeah. Too bad that it was commissioned for such a regime. Oh, mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could talk about that project for a while. But seriously, all these styles, rationalism, international, modernism, they all sound the same to me. The the thought process behind them of approaching design from a rational form follows function point of view. But but I guess when you study each, you find the subtle differences between them, I'm sure, or how one led to the other. I'm really interested in those types of things. And if I had free time, I would study that. And then find someone to discuss it with. But until then, I guess I'll keep wondering. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. I think they all have similar high level concepts, right? But when you get down into the nitty gritty, they're different and had different driving forces behind them. But it would be really interesting to dive more into that. So let us know what you find, Nurjidi. All right. I mean, I feel like we probably would have learned about this, like while we were in history class. But, you know, we're talking we about have. it like 10 years ago. So <laughs> over 10 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. But it would be interesting to find that li- lineage. Also, like, I think it was episode Hans Stroller when we went through. I gave like a five second architecture history lesson of like 
the different levels of like how it's like there's our so listen to Hans Stroller. Oh <laughs> episode for, 13. Yeah. For that history lesson in past seconds of the That's lineage. a good one. Let's go back to Maria before we all digress into architecture theory class 101. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In the same article in the Almanac of the Italian Woman, they also wrote, and I quote, I'm going to give this a try, though I don't remember the accent anymore. It's Italian. In Bologna and recently in Rome, where she moved, she left the imprint of her particular artistic talents, of her virile and at the same time, exquisitely feminine ingenuity. Virile? Hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose the fact that they used a word that is normally used to describe a man, along with pointing out her femininity, <laughs> is something. Uh, but I hope that they meant it as a compliment to her strength and maybe that she was prolific in her work. I don't Maybe it's a translation thing, but overall, I'm just glad that they're acknowledging her work, but... Very strange word choices. Yeah, that's a weird choice of words. I would like to think that it just proved that Maria was just like a badass. Speaking about modern architecture and women architects, Maria collaborated a lot with Elena Mm -hmm. Lusato, the first licensed woman architect in Italy. Future episode alert. Yeah, Maria and Elena were entering competitions together. The Architects and Engineers Union put together a competition for villas in the town of Lido di Ostia in Rome, where Maria and Elena won third place. And they also won third place on the competition for the Palazzo dell'Economia Corporativa di Pesaro, a government building in Pesaro, Italy. Love it when women get together to make great things. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In between running her engineering practice, designing furniture sometimes, and entering competitions with Elena, Maria found time to be involved in various groups. She was president of the Centro Italiano Femminile Artisti e Professionati, Italian Center for the Female Artists and Professionals, and also president of the Rome chapter of the Federazione Italiana Laureata e Diplomate Istituti Superiori, Italian Federation of High School Graduates, F-I-L-D-I-S. That's a mouthful. Uh, Tell me about it. Yeah, just yeah. a lot. Um, but listeners, I'm tired F-I- listening to you. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and this girl wasn't tired. Like, what? Like, was Maria tired? I'm tired. I'm, uh, <laughs> FYI, listeners, the FILDIS, okay. <laughs> it's a feminist organization that began in the 1920s. And it's a part of the International Federation of University Women. The fascist government dissolved it in 1935. But in 1944, the FILDIS came back and it still exists today. Also, guys, she's doing all these things during World War II, just to put it into perspective. So she survives the war, somehow keeps her business thriving. And after World War II, she was part of the reconstruction efforts in Italy. Her work focused on residential complexes. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, I know that we've been talking about fascism, but I didn't realize that we had gotten to World War II. 
and went past it. Like, <laughs> yeah. we just flew past. Woo! And <laughs> I'm very glad that she made it through the war and that she helped out with the reconstruction. Yes. I mean, you would have thought that, like, maybe it would have affected her or her business, but she was working so much. We couldn't even tell. She was doing all the things. Um, and I also guess that it helps that she had a variety of project types to help keep her moving. She also joined the Italian Liberal Party. You know, I like my ladies politically involved, as I've said before. So I looked into this party a little bit. It was a liberal and conservative party that came to be after World War II. And it had some influence in the government for many years. But in the 1990s, there was a big scandal. Ah, scandal. <laughs> Scandalous. And the party disintegrated. So that's that. I will say that I was pleasantly surprised to know that today I was talking about a libertarian and not my usual communist. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it diverse, bringing you stories of ladies with different political views from both sides of the aisles. That's how I do it. Changing it up. And yet not. Yes. It's not surprising you chose a political lady. Yes. <laughs> you and your politics. I I gotta say, I never choose them because they're involved in politics. It's just something that comes up as I learn about them. And then and then I choose to dig a little more into it. <laughs> but it's once I know, like, I don't know it before I start the research. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. But I also think it just this season, we're talking about our home places we've called home. So we choose these ladies and it's just like synchronistic, I guess, that like once we start digging into their stories, we realize how much we're connected to them somehow. So like your love of politics, Majidi, just <laughs> so happened to be on this Italian chick. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, by now, Maria is involved in all different circles, society, design, politics, all through her chicken and bacon. She met Gabriela Mistral. Ooh, Gabriela Mistral was a Chilean poet and diplomat who was the first Latin American author to win a Nobel Prize in literature. What did these two get up to together? Yeah, I am very curious to know what the connection of a poet will bring to this story. I'm not going to lie. The first thing I remembered about Gabriela is that there are schools named after her in Puerto Rico. So I knew that she was important, but I couldn't remember why. Like for five seconds, I thought she was Puerto Rican. But <laughs> <laughs> then I looked her up and I learned all the things you just said, Lizzie. And also she was part of the Chilean consulate in a lot of different countries, including Italy. So. Maria and Gabriela cross paths in Rome. I found a picture of the first page of a letter that Maria wrote to Gabriela on June 26, 1946. Great day to write a letter. The letter was in Italian. <laughs> so my friend and listener of the show, Paolo Rosson, came immediately to the rescue and helped me translate this letter because God knows I'm not going to ask Google for this task. <laughs> Grazie mille. Per sempre, Paolo, for your help. Okay, I'm going to read a long passage so I won't put you through the agony of listening to me trying to do an Italian accent. You're not going to read it in Italian? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. 
Okay, we're ready for the letter. I believe in you, no, Judy. It's I just think too you long. I, I use your hands. Only, only if you feel led. <laughs> only you feel led. Always. I don't feel led today. I don't want it to sound okay. like I'm making right. fun. That's fine. Okay. But I will read it in a sophisticated manner that I thought that Maria would have spoken it. All right. Okay. We'll allow it. I am writing to repeat what I told you by voice, that it was very touching to hear of your interest in my name reaching the other side of the ocean. It is not out of modesty that I didn't want my name to be spoken. Rather, it is because of the constraints that have held me back from any kind of exhibitionism about my work as a woman, without the conviction that is usually reserved for men. I have always worked in the shadows, dedicating all of my passion to my job, which is strange for a woman. Okay, this is surprising. I feel like this whole time she's been doing all the things and getting published in articles, but she feels like she works in the shadows. I hope it's just modesty. Yeah, I mean, she's just being very humble. Like we're talking about a period where there is Le Corbusier, Giuseppe Terani, Grupo 7 and all of the other male architects that are trying to claim their architect status. But then, you know, we have Maria over here who just wants to build and like do her thing. Her like, you know, just be a civil engineer. She doesn't want to be like the star engineer. Star engineer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she is the star engineer in our hearts. Mm. Yes. In the beginning of the letter, she says it's not out of modesty that she doesn't want to name. Mm. Well, think about it this way. In the beginning of the letter, she says it's not out of modesty that she doesn't want her name to be known internationally. So to me, it almost reads that it would be dangerous for her to call too much attention to herself as a professional woman. I wish the full letter was available because I think that the where I was looking it up on the Internet, it said like one of seven sheets oh. of her letter. So mm. I was considering and to be honest with you, listeners, I forgot until this minute that I was going to reach out to the Italian Chilean consulates to know if in their records they had the full letter that they could send to me. <laughs> I will remember to do it and I'll let you know if they ever respond. Fingers crossed. I think, yeah, I mean, maybe what you're saying is true, but I also wonder, like, it also reads to me. I mean, I know I said like, oh, I hope it's just modesty. And she says it's not modesty, but it almost feels more like like society tells her that she can't be outspoken as a woman, not so Mm. much as being like afraid because she's like nervous about it but just that like i don't know like she can't because of social implications or whatnot Mm -hmm. it could be that it was just dangerous because like we are shocked that she was able to do these things under like a fascist regime and i mean as far as we know she hasn't been penalized for it so maybe that's why is that she was just working in the shadows to like not bring attention to herself at some point in her life, she bought and renovated an estate in Lanovio in Rome. And when she retired, she moved there and she focused on studying history, urban planning and archaeology. I got to say that while playing bingo is my number one retirement goal next to maybe running for mayor, moving to a quaint town to study history, urban planning and archaeology 
It's starting to sound like a very close second slash third. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that does sound very up your alley. Maybe Mm -hmm. she played bingo on the weekends. Maybe it was like bingo archaeology. I mean, it does sound nice, though. I could combine all the things that I like yep, into one. That's right. Bingo. Yes. <laughs> hey. She also published a book in 1970 on her research and findings. It's called La Novio. I like this retirement plan more and more. I do a little fun research. I publish a book. I make a little money. I use it to play bingo. It just sounds perfect. Yeah. Very idyllic. Yeah. Hashtag retirement goals. Shortly after publishing her book, she passed away in 1971. Mm. Sad. But I'm so glad that she got to publish the book before she died. It also sounds like she lived a long and full life. 80 or 90 years old. (laughs) Who knows? But... It sounds like she was very (laughs) modest, but able to accomplish a lot during her career. Yes. I also like that we got to reminisce about our time in Italy. And, you know, she lived through, Maria lived through so much and she was also in Bologna. I don't know. She lived a very well lived life. Now it's time for our Karyatid. A reminder. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we present a karyatid, a woman who is working today furthering the profession through her work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Drum roll, please! <laughs> Dr. Ornella Iwario! Dr. Ornella Iorio is a professor, researcher, and designer working at the intersection between architecture and structures. She studied architecture and civil engineering at the University Federico II in Naples and University Mm -hmm. Gabriel D'Annunzio in Chieti, Pescara. She has an MARC, Honors Degree in Architecture, and a PhD in Structural Engineering from Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Very well-rounded. Yeah, quite impressive. Y'all, check out all the titles Dr. Ornella has. She is Professor of Architecture and Structures, Director of Cities, Infrastructure, and Energy, and Program Leader in Architecture Engineering at the School of Civil Engineering in the University of Leeds. Oh my gosh, titles on titles on titles. How does she do it all? Yeah, I want to know how her calendar looks like. Oh, very full, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But also, like, all those titles sound so important. Yeah. I know. In 2022, the Women Engineering Society named her one of the top 50 women in engineering for her work and research in lightweight structures. Her research involves prefab and robotic assemblies and constructions. Also, she is leading the international Nova Vida project, which is a collaboration between academics and communities to reimagine post-disaster infrastructure development. Hmm. That's really cool. I love that she's using all of her combined skills to work on these types of infrastructure. 
Yeah. It also reminds me of Maria with her post-war work. So it's a good tie-in. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you saw the connection. Mm-hmm. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Before we say Chisantiamo, we want to say grazie to CMYK for the music. John W., our technical producer, and most of all, grazie mille to all of you for listening. We also want to give a special shout out to Scienza Adue Voci for all the information you shared on Maria. Not so much on Google or their translation. Yeah, they got no special shout out. No. Listeners, remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as the pictures of projects and people that we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Maria and Onela along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, prego. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media. It is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Lots of great shows there. The list keeps growing. So many things to listen to. Listen and subscribe to all of the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your politicians, your libertarians, your civil engineers. Tell them all. Your star engineers. Tell them to give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and learn about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebillspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website at shebillspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at Facebook at shebillspodcast and on Twitter at shebillspod. Until then, ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. ciao. Arrivederci. Ci sentiamo. Ci vediamo. If you were paying attention to the beginning of the story, you might recognize Manilo's last name. But is his name Manilo or Manlio? Manlio. Manlio. Oh, did I write it wrong? Oh, crap. I don't know. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't, which one is it? I don't know which one is right. Though. Yeah. Googling. It's Manlio. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. 
in drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day, I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> I did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.